This is Bloomberg Business Week from Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Carol Masser. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business Week Extra. It's our weekly podcast bringing you an in-depth interview you will not hear anywhere else. This week, Bombas. You probably know the company from their ads. Maybe you're wearing their socks right now. The direct-to-consumer company, it was started back in 2013 as a way to help the homeless. For every pair of socks they sell, they donate a pair to those in need. It's a great mission. It's an interesting company. And Jason, they've done it all at a profit and with impressive growth. Here's founder David Heath. All right. So go back to the beginning. I love the origin story of this. You heard a stat, you read a stat, and that sort of got you thinking. Yeah. So I was uh, scrolling through Facebook one day back in early 2011, and I came across a quote on a post that the Salvation Army had made. um, And it said that socks were the number one most requested clothing item at homeless shelters. And I kind of just sat there for a second. I was like, wow, that's pretty sad. Here's an item of clothing that I've never spent more than a few seconds a day thinking about, and this item of clothing is perceived as a luxury item for a large group of people, almost 600,000 people experiencing homelessness in the U.S. on any given year. Um, And so I remember just kind of sharing the idea uh, with friends and one of my coworkers who uh, ended up becoming one of my co-founders, Randy. Um, We worked together, so it was quite easy in proximity. And, you know, we were like, what can we do about this? And at first we just started carrying socks around in our bags, you know, to and from work and handing them out. And we started experiencing the kind of mission firsthand and seeing the elated faces of people who are like, how did you know that I needed a pair of socks? And thank you so much. This is the one thing I really need today. Um, And that got us thinking, obviously, like, how can we help scale and solve this problem? And, you know, around the same time, you know, Tom's was in their fifth year of business and obviously the pioneer of one for one and Warby had just launched um, Mm -hmm. and gotten a ton of fanfare and their two um, release articles. And, you know, we were like, wow, if this company's doing it for shoes and this company's doing it for eyewear, maybe we could solve this sock problem by, um, you know, imploring the same type of mission. So we launched the company in 2013. I want to talk more about to launching the company and what you what you're doing today. But I want to go back to this whole idea of Bumblebee because there's a there's a a mission or mantra, if you will, that you have about be better. This whole concept of bees and hives and working together. I mean, that's where it all comes from that's a really big part of the culture of your company. Totally. It's 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 ingrained in kind of everything that we do. And um, the name Bombus and the tagline and kind of the design for bees and utilization of bees and the hive kind of mentality and the hexagon pattern that's on our uh, yeah. arch support uh, was really kind of the, the – um, the idea of our other co-founder, Aaron Walk, uh, who's our chief creative officer. Um, and as soon as we heard it, as soon as we saw kind of the initial idea he presented to us, we were like, yes, this is it. Like, we're going to go all in on this. But David, you could have just made socks and handed it out or created a nonprofit sure. and just got money in to do that. You did it a different way. Totally. Um, Why? I mean, I have always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I went to school for entrepreneurship. My dad's an entrepreneur. Um, I think I was an entrepreneur before I even knew what an entrepreneur <laughs> right. was. I was the weird kid in the in your neighborhood that was like knocking on your door. Can I wash your car or right. walk your dogs or do whatever? Um, and so I think, you know, I've always tried to solve problems through business, right? I've always tried to make the connection. Um, and Randy, who's my co-founder, we Randy, worked Goldberg, together, right? Randy Goldberg, we worked together at a startup. And so we were experiencing fast growth startup life together and we became really fast friends. And he had a passion for entrepreneurship. His dad was an entrepreneur as well. And so we kind of just came together and we we're like, let's you know utilize this idea as our company. Well, and one of the things I think, keep me honest here, that you guys also learned was that you wanted to run a company in a different way 
than the company where you were working. Yeah. I mean, look, there were some good things at the place we were working. Um, there were some bad things. And I think like any good entrepreneur, you you take the lessons that you've learned throughout your life and apply them into the you know world of business. And I think the one thing, I mean, the gratitude we have for what we experienced at a company that didn't have a ton of transparency, was heavily micromanaged, not a lot of you know personal empowerment, but had a great culture in terms of, you know, friends being friends yeah. with the people you work with. And so we kind of took that, but then also, you know, took all the things that we didn't like experiencing as employees um, and kind of flipped that all around. And so, you know, we're 130 employees today. Uh, we've only had four people leave the company in six years. Um, you know, we were just named uh, by uh, Fortune as the number one best place to work in retail uh, in the U.S. And so, you know, company culture is a, is a huge part of what we do. And I think a lot of our mission actually plays back into that as well. I mean, we donate time together, we volunteer together. Um, and when our employees can go out and experience the work that they're doing, you know, and see the end benefit to a person who's truly in need firsthand, all of a sudden they come back to the office and have a ton more humility, right? Yeah. They're not complaining when the cold brew coffee goes out on tap, right? Yeah. If they have a argument with a friend, right? you know, yeah, it provides a ton of perspective. So, What I think is interesting too, is that we're at a, a time coming off of the business roundtable this year, getting a lot of attention about, it's not just about your shareholder, you know, if you're a publicly held company, but there's a lot of stakeholders. You guys from the get-go have thought about the environment, your employees, you know, your workers, so many different stakeholders. Sure. How easy is that to do and run a business and you got to make money at the, at the same time and yeah. you're giving back? <laughs> it, it's, it's actually really easy to do when all of those things are built into the DNA from day one, right? I mean, if you kind of put stakes in the ground and say, we're not going to compromise on all these different things, um, you kind of build the model around it, right? You set margin targets that, you know, afford a donation. You, you know, build in OPEX that affords a great company culture. You know, now we're in kind of the next life cycle where we're big enough that we're going to start tackling sustainability in a real way. Um, and that's the thing that, you know, is a much bigger, you know, nut to crack and it'll happen slowly over time. But, you know, we're, we're, we're committed to constantly doing the right thing. And we feel like our customers are rewarding us for that. So talk to us about the nuts and bolts of the business, because you weren't uh, other than being a sock wearer, you weren't like a sock guy, you know, like you, you, did, you didn't have a manufacturing background, None. you didn't have an apparel background of, of any uh, note. So how did you go about sort of learning how to make this product? Yeah, I think, you know, the the reason that companies like ours and Harry's and Warby all have seen so much success is because we're not in the industry. Yeah. Um, you know, we come at it from a consumer's standpoint. So mm -hmm. we are disrupting these products because we ourselves were consumers of this product, right? And we saw that these were nascent categories, right? Not much time and attention or energy were being put into razors or, you know, eyewear or socks, you know, some of these more commodity type products. Um, and I think that gave us a huge competitive advantage. Um, luckily, I mean, this is where like luck plays a huge part. My godfather was actually in the hosiery business ah. for 40 years. Um, and so when it came to actually figuring out who are the best manufacturers, you know, where, what are the best places to produce? Um, he, he is kinda, a sock guy. Yeah. yeah. He actually was the presidency of Gold Toe for oh wow. a bunch That's of years in the early nineties. So um, he knew, had every factory relationship and kind of walked us in, you know, through the front door and, you know, vouched for us. 
Well, talk to us about that because I do think we all know about the horror stories in retail sure. and manufacturing. So as part of your mission, I'm assuming you're trying to make sure that, you know, wages are fair and so on and so forth. I mean, how easy is that to do? This this In this day and age, it's pretty easy. Is it? Um, okay. You know, there's a ton of third-party compliance um, auditors that, you know, independently certify these organizations and factories and, you know, you kind of just look at, you know, what's your RAP certification? And, you know, we, we also work with an organization called Made in a Free World, which our factories have to sign a piece of paper that says that they'll open up their supply chains. Because I think one of the difficulties is often your factory might be good, but the place where right. they get it or yep. the place where get, you know, their stuff gets the other stuff might not be. And that's actually one of the hard parts of, you know, consumer well, we technology. Just had a conversation with someone about right. retail supply chains, and they just talked about so many different people and layers in the middle. And unnecessary layers right. at some point that really contribute to that sort of opaque nature of of the chain. Yeah. And one of the things I'm learning, you know, as as we kind of dive into this and become more, you know, focused on on all of these efforts is, you know, especially in like hardware components, you could have some trace element of some, you know, metal that's being mined somewhere and you know it goes through 300 people before it ends up in your laptop or your iphone and you know it 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 is really challenging but you know i think with technology and i think with the age of information sharing that we're in all of these things are starting to become more prevalent and start to rise to the top so when you think about sort of getting going and getting the product to customers and getting that getting it in front of them, mm-hmm. not even just physically, but just the I- idea that you guys, I mean, it's become almost like a meme, you know, in terms <laughs> of like the amount that you're advertising on podcasts yeah. and, and things like that. Was that always the strategy? Just like, we got to get to the people, we got to flood the zone. What What are the mechanisms to do that? Yeah. I mean, we knew that we wanted to be a digitally first brand, right? So Randy and I worked at a digital media company. So somewhat in our kind of, you know, blood. Um, and this was kind of the world that we grew up in and the world that we knew. Um, Randy's an incredible storyteller. And so, you know, we, we really wanted to leverage the power of storytelling, which actually the, the unlock with D2C is it allows commodity type products like a sock, for instance. D2C meaning direct to consumer. Direct to consumer. Um, you know, you can spend three minutes on a video on your website and someone will watch it where, yeah. you know, if you're walking through Nordstrom's, so you're not going to stop and watch a three minute video on a sock company. Right. Um, and so that was kind of a huge unlock for us, but you know, from, from day one, we were always just focused on um, positive ROI in terms of customer acquisition. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the things that really separates us from a lot of our peers is that, you know, in total to date, we've only raised 4 million of capital um, while a lot of our peers have raised 50, 100, yeah. $150 million with these crazy values. Valuations, but you peek behind the curtain and none of them are generating any money because they're right. chasing this lifetime value per cost per acquisition ratio. We kind of went back to the fundamentals. We were like, consumer businesses have been around for, you know, almost 100 years now. And, and the way that consumer businesses work is you buy a product for Y, you sell it for X, and you run the company off of the margin. Right. And so we're like, why does direct-to-consumer have to be any different? So we really bucked a lot of the trend there, and we've been profitable every single year you have been. Um, that we've been in business, except for year two, which was a big kind of growth capital year for us. What's your sales growth rate? Uh, been 100% year over year, uh, some years you know, close to 2 to 300%. Um, and, and, you're, year. and you're like at 100 or 200 million in sales? Did yeah, I yeah, just about. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah. talk to us about the customer. I mean, I'm a customer, and and it's interesting because I've both bought socks, and then you know they've been giveaways at a, a conference or whatever. Yeah. It is a great gift. Like, 
Who is the typical customer, if you can generalize? There, there isn't really just one. I mean, we actually, you know, what we've been super surprised about is that we have super broad demographics. And I think that's to the point, right? Socks are an item that every single person wears. Yeah. Um, you know, whether you're two years old or 92 years old, you're probably wearing socks at some point, in, you know, in your year, uh, even if you live in warm weather climates. Um, and I think the idea that, you know, we've produced something that stands out in the marketplace, it's super comfortable. Comfort is not unique to, uh, you know, millennials or Gen Xers right. or boomers, right? Everybody wants to feel comfort. Um, and so, yeah, we've got just as many customers who are, you know, 25 to 35 as we do customers who are 65 to 75 and older. Um, same thing with demographics in terms of, you know, spends. We have 25% of our customers earn under $50,000 a year and 25% earn over $150,000 mm-hmm. a year. And so we see it as somewhat of an affordable luxury, right? One of the benchmarks that we've always used was Starbucks, right? Hmm. We took a commodity type product, improved upon it, provided a really good customer experience and a great brand. And all of a sudden you can see how a customer who used to spend $20 a year on socks could spend $60 a year on socks. It's not the $40 Delta is not the you know difference between them, you know, paying their mortgage or not, where you can't do that with something like a car. Right. And so I think because it's an affordable luxury and because we have the mission and because our product stands out so much in the marketplace, it attracts a large group of customers. Well, and I also do think about something we've talked a lot about that people are thinking about, let me let me do something, let me pay some, you know, I'll pay up for quality, right? And something that's going to last, but that also is giving back and doing good and not maybe impacting the environment as much. And we are slowly maybe seeing a lot more of that happening in retail. I think about Fashionopolis, right? And, you know, kind of the waste in the retail industry so that people are starting to kind of filter through. Yep. And you're seeing that play out. Totally. Yeah. I mean, again, we're living in a social media age, right? Yeah. Where information is king and no longer can you hide bad company values, you know, behind a closed door, right? All of this stuff, whether it's Glassdoor with your employees or, mm-hmm. you know, social media where the customer is going to post whether they had a good experience or a bad experience on any one of your social posts or right. one of your ads. Like, so you've got it. The, the benchmark and the standards by which you have to live are so high, but it's great because it makes everybody responsible, right? Because the lens and the and the voice has moved, you know, the power has shifted back to the consumer where, yeah, it used to be, but there was always kind of a delay and you right, could right. kind of cover it up for as, you know, a while. But now, this day and age, like Consumers information bashful, right? is they, like yeah. flowing rampantly. So you right. can't hide behind these things. I mean, you look at some of these companies and you look at the WeWorks or even Away, which just happened, like you can't prop up a company on, you know, bad actions, it it will eventually suss out. So you've got to play by the rules. And so have you had any of those sort of, I mean, this has been a really nice straight line up. It feels like generally speaking, but surely you've had some sort of gut check moments either early on or maybe midway on where you thought, okay, either this was a bad decision or this wasn't working or this isn't catching on the way we thought. Tell us about one of those times. Yeah. You know, I think we have been incredibly lucky. Um, our growth has been pretty sustainable. Um, we have had very little turnover. You know, I think we've done a lot of things right. Um, I think some of those strategic decisions happen more internally around, you know, what's the pathway for the company, right? You know, do we, how long do we stay in just socks, right? And then what's the category we move to after that? Is that category determined by what our customers want from us or is it determined by what the second most requested clothing item 
Women Homeless Shelters is. Lucky for us, they happen to coincide, um, which is underwear, and we're you know working on that, and we'll have that out shortly. Um, but you also have shirts and sweats, like you have expanded, right? But even now, we're starting to think, okay, do we just become a socks, tees, and underwear brand? And you know, are, is sweats and some of the other products we're working on is that dilutive at this point? So these are these hard conversations that you invest yeah. a lot of time and energy into. But I think one of the things that makes great leaders and the things that I'm learning about being a CEO is sometimes you have to stop and really gut check yourself and say, just because we've started to invest time and energy and resources into this thing, we still, until it's out in the public, and even after it's out in the public, you still always maintain control about what to do and you can pivot. And I think the best companies decide to pivot when it's, even when the decision is really hard. Do you stay direct to consumer? So we're predominantly direct to consumer, mostly because that's where we're seeing all of our growth. Um, You know, so 98% of our sales happen through Bombas.com. 2% of our sales happen in retail, mostly because we've seen a lot of demand there. But also we know that if our goal is to build a billion dollar plus global, you know, apparel company, we have to be omni-channel. And so we're kind of dipping our toe in retail and learning, you know, how do we show up to the customer? How does does the customer understand our mission when they just see a pair of socks on the shelf, right? And I think what we're seeing is that because we've got an incredibly large marketing budget, you know, and we're telling our story so much online and and podcasts and on radio and TV that actually some of that's bleeding through. So we are actually the number one selling sock brand in every store that we're in. And, you know, we're like, whoa, that's amazing. We must have done something well. And they're like, no, you, your, your marketing budget is about a hundred times more than the next, you know, people just know who you are. are. Um, So we feel really excited about that. And, you know, once we kind of continue to build out product categories as well, we're excited about what a Bombas retail location could look like and, you know, really framing it around potentially making a community center where part of the time we open up the doors to the homeless community where they can come in and shop. Um, Everything will be free but they can shop the most needed items that we have for available for donations. And like Lululemon and Nike, where they utilize their stores for run clubs or yoga, we could use them for volunteer events where we gather groups of our customers to then go out and serve them. It's really exciting about what's to come. But again, I think the hard part about you know being a leader is, you know, is, is right. narrowing in on your lane and saying, look, that stuff will come, right? It doesn't have to be tomorrow. It doesn't have to be in two years or three right. years. Like we want to build a company for longevity. And I think, again, I think this this notion of taking on a lot of fundraising early on, you have this immediate expectation that you've got to go from zero to 500 million in revenue in three years or else you're not a success. But right? if a big manufacturer came to you or a big brand conglomerate, because we we're seeing a lot Which of I'm consolidation. Which I'm guessing they have, let's be honest. <laughs> do you, like, yeah, like how do you say, because there's certainly a lot of benefits to staying on your own and staying private and staying, you know, or being part of a big company. Yeah, I mean, we're again, we're 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 profitable, so we have a lot of optionality, yeah. um, and I think that's been one of the best disciplines about us focusing on profitability is that we're not forced to make these types of decisions because we're running out of cash. Which right. again, I think a lot of our peers do. Some of the acquisitions are either raise more money or get acquired. Um, and in our experience, when we've watched those played out, they haven't played out very well. Um, so again, I think we. 
you know, we look at the brands that really inspire us, the Nikes, the Patagonias of the world, right? They're independent, right? Lululemons, right? Yeah, I mean, they're public, but, you know, they still get to drive their own core values. And I think when they run by their values, you see a long-term success because those companies all establish to be, you know, hundred-year-old companies when they started, right? They didn't want to be a flash in the pan. They didn't, the founders weren't like, let's just make as much money as possible and get the hell out and go do our next thing. And I think when we start to get inspiration about other leaders in our space, um, those are the people we look to. It's not the people who are mm. kind of adjacent right. to us. We're, you, know, you know, we're not worried about, you know, whether we're on the front cover of Inc. or all these other things. We kind of just like put our head down, worry about us, focus on just delivering a really good product, a really good experience, really great, you know, company culture, and the rest will play out over time. That was Bomba's founder, David Heath. And I think what's interesting is that we've seen a slew of companies, Jason, where this whole idea of you buy something, then something gets donated. I think it's what consumers really like. And what I also like about David is that in this world where there's so much money chasing opportunities in the startup world, sounds like that they were very responsible in terms of expansion and how they spent their capital. I totally agree. It was very methodical mm-hmm. and interesting to hear, you know, in this year where there's been so much governance drama and fundraising right. drama and in a week where we have the SoftBank story sort of coming to the fore on the cover of the magazine. Right. Here's a company that has sort of like gone along, built, as you say, sort of responsibly all across the board. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business Week Extra. Be sure to tune into Bloomberg Business Week Radio live Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.